This is episode 159 of Alohomora for October 10th, 2015. Hello everyone and welcome back to a brand new episode of Alohomora. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Nicole Rivera. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special guest host today, fan host all the way from India, is Archana. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Archana and uh, I live in Chennai, which is in uh, the southern tip of India. And uh, well, my uh, Harry Potter story is like, uh, I got the Chamber of Secrets for my seventh birthday. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, ever since it's just, I mean, I didn't even realize there was a book before or a book after and it was just a book, but then, <laughs> you know, I, I got around to it at some point of time and it's been an awesome 13 years in the fandom. So yes. Wow, that's brilliant. Um, are there different covers for the for books in India? Are they the British covers, American covers? What do they look like? Oh, no, uh, we get the uh, Bloomsbury covers from the UK from, versions. Yeah, okay. Also the best. <laughs> um, also, what house are you in? Uh, Gryffindor. Oh, lovely. So, uh, I actually wanted to be in either Ravenclaw or Slytherin because, you know, Gryffindor is like too mainstream. <laughs> but, you know, I, <laughs> but yeah, I'm in Gryffindor. Oh, well, welcome. You've got uh, two Hufflepuffs and a Ravenclaw to deal with today, so you'll be good. <laughs> Sounds awesome. As always, guys, I just need to have a quick reminder for you all to read this week's chapter, which is Deathly Hallows Chapter 9, A Place to Hide. So make sure you've got it before we get on to that section. But of course, again, as usual, before we get to this week's chapter, we're going to discuss some recap comments from last week, which was Chapter 8, The Wedding. Oh, I was sad that I missed that discussion because, I don't know, a wizarding wedding is pretty cool. I'm just saying. Lots of really awesome comments this week. And our first one here comes from Dora Nympha. This is part of a much longer comment, and the discussion was about um, the actual ceremony itself. So she says, Then I declare you bonded for life. Okay, but not like for real bonded for life, right? Like not in a magical sort of way, just like in a usual marriage kind of way of which you can totally get divorced, right? Or is it like an unbreakable vow type of thing, just less dark? Or even if it's not supposed to be an actual magical contract, what if someone's a jealous type and gets their fiancé to step into a magical vow without their knowledge? (laughs) So a lot of people brought up how just that wording, then I declare you bonded for life, seemed, it kind of felt like the unbreakable vow. So what do you guys think? Um, I think it would have brought a whole new definition till to death do us part. That's for sure. <laughs> if you broke that vow, that would, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be a little scary. Yeah. I wonder what divorce rates are like in the wizarding world. Have we heard of or any? Wi- um, I don't think there's any in the books. Hmm. No, of course not. <laughs> Other than, were, I don't, so. were Tom Riddle and Moropi married or? No, I don't think so. They kind I, of, I don't think so. Sort of eloped, but not really. And I think if the, if they were married, it would have been a, a muggle wedding rather than a wizarding one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always imagined wizarding weddings to be a bit like hand, hand fasting. Have you heard of hand fasting? No. It's um, a wedding ceremony. It's kind of um, more of a kind of a less religious, more um, 
I think there's kind of Wiccan ceremonies and things that are very similar. Um, but it's um, where um, your hands literally get tied together and that's kind of representing the bond um, of the marriage. Um, and there's kind of ribbon that represents your life together and all that kind of thing. Um, I feel like I've seen pictures of that yeah, now that you're saying it. Quite, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. It's quite a common thing to be done within other kind of religious ceremonies and things as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think there would be in any kind of magical, you must be together forever kind of thing. Because um, if, you know, how would you be able to enforce that? You'd be married, but you can be married and be in different countries and all that kind of thing. So when when does a wedding actually stop? When does a marriage actually stop? Um, if, like, how would you break it? It's confusing. Apparently when somebody dies. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to agree with you, Rosie, though. I think it, it's just a beautiful wording that yeah. you hear at a wedding from this weird wizard priest guy who we don't know who he is. So, <laughs> yeah. Our next comment here comes from Life and Dragons. And this is something that um, the discussion did not touch on last week, which he or she wanted to hear about. It says, I was really looking forward to talking about Luna this week. How did she know who Harry was? I don't think she was given that information like some of the other members of the Order. Did she simply overhear something? I think she just knew. She's such an amazing character. So, personally, I always thought that um, Luna is more of a personality reader than somebody who focuses on what people look like. And I feel like she'd probably be that type of person, and I'm not saying this is bad because I usually believe in this stuff like the type of person who reads auras and can be like you're yellow and you're blue and you're orange and i feel like that's probably how she recognized harry does she not say it in the chapter i, I mm-hmm. seem to remember harry asks her how she knew it was him and she says something about his expression um he like even though it didn't look like him he had the same kind of expression on his face that he normally does when he's deep in thought or something like that yes she definitely says that yeah yeah, I, I agree with the kind of she recognises personalities and she recognises um, aspects of people. Um, but I just like the fact that she, even though we've only known her for, you know, a couple of years, she knows Harry so well that she can recognise his expression even on someone else's face. That's really cool. <laughs> mm. um, do the eyes change with Polyjuice? Probably, huh? I would think yeah, so. Yeah, I think everything changes with Polyjuice, yeah. but... Yeah, I like the idea of Luna uh, reading auras. That sounds like, that sounds very Luna. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah. thanks for reading my comment. <laughs> oh, that's you? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. You're welcome. What a nice coincidence. First time, so yay. <laughs> oh, wow. All sorts of firsts for you today. Yeah. All right. Well, our last comment here for the recap comes from Hufflepuff Skeen. And it says, how did the infiltration of the ministry lead to the Death Eaters finding out where Harry was? Or did they know he was there or just want to get the Weasleys to torture his whereabouts out of them? So this was something they touched on briefly last week about kind of what happened at the ministry. But I'm not sure we ever find out exactly how they found out where Harry was. Do we? Well, didn't the trace wash off of him while he was at the Weasleys? So wouldn't they know he was the last time the trace was on him, he was at the Weasleys. Could that have tipped them off? But he wouldn't have done uh, magic when before the trace was. But the Weasleys right? were doing magic all around him. So, right. But yeah. even if he did do magic, they you know as the trace has been described, they can't tell who does the magic. 
in a magical household, just that magic has been done. Yes, so that's why they would know generally where he was, but they wouldn't wizard know was children cast it. So it doesn't matter whether it's him or not. Right. But they know that he's been in the vicinity of magic at this particular place. Wait, oh. uh, I always I always thought it was the other way around. Where uh, they, I mean, when magic is performed, the only reason they knew that uh, you know Dobby's magic or the uh, Patronus he did at that, like you know, in previous times was. Because there was no other wizard in that area, I think if there were wizards, then it doesn't apply, right? No, you're exactly right. That's how they knew that Harry was doing, or, quote, knew that Harry was doing the magic at Privet Drive, because he's the only wizard in the area. But at the Weasleys, it wouldn't matter if he did magic, because there's a whole house But that would mean that the trace is completely ridiculous. It would never work anywhere that anyone magical lives. (laughs) What would be the point of the Ministry using the trace? Yeah, I think... think I think that was the point then. It was just to keep all the Muggleborns to not show yeah. off in front of their friends. I mean, that's that's true and valid, I think. It's pretty important for them not to use magic in front of Muggles. But it's also meant to be um, that the younger witches and wizards from wizarding families need protecting because they don't know how to control their magic yet until they go to Hogwarts. Right. Interesting. But I mean, I suppose, you know, like, just like muggle parents would teach their children to do certain things as they grow up, I would expect, you know, wizard parents to do the same, even if it is magic. But still, that doesn't help us figure (laughs) out how the Death Eaters found out where Harry was. Did somebody save Voldemort (laughs) at the wedding? If the taboo was in place by then? Oh. I think they were specifically looking for information about Harry. I don't think they necessarily knew he was there. Um, I don't know if it's movieism or if it's actually Remus who says it when they meet up in Grimmauld Place um, but I think there is some kind of discussion of them not knowing he was meant to be like they weren't kind of looking for someone um, who had drunk Polyjuice Potion they weren't looking for someone who was hidden they were just asking for information oh yeah that's right they just came to ruin the wedding yeah the fact that it's a Weasley wedding and Harry's known to be friends with them they were just kind of pushing their luck and seeing if he was actually there to, to celebrate the wedding with them, probably. And Scrimmager was there and saw him, so maybe they got... That's true. Scrimmager knew who was there. Maybe they knew, yeah. Yeah, even if he wouldn't give up the location, I guess they could have sucked it out of him or something, Found right? his memories. Especially if Voldemort was there, which we don't know if he was or not, but... Mm. Hmm. Great. Well, really good comments again this week. There's a lot more over on the main site, which is, of course, at alohamora.mugglenet.com. So go ahead and join over there. You know, keep the conversation going because these conversations go on weeks after the episodes <laughs> air. So head over there and join in. All right. So let's jump into podcast question of the week. Um, just as a reminder, I'm going to reread the question. During Crumb's encounter with Harry, Crumb idly mentions the Eastern European belief that Grigorovich is a superior wandmaker to Ollivander, if not one of the best wandmakers in the world. On Pottermore, Ollivander produces a thorough catalog of the wands and cores he is willing to use and even mentions a few that he thinks are too volatile, i.e. Thestral and Vela hairs, to use in wandmaking, which Grigorovich is happy to use. What wand woods and cores do you think other wand makers like Grigorovich use that Ollivander does not? What about these woods and cores might make them ideal or even dangerous? So our first comment is from Bill White, and this is what he has to say. This is contingent upon how wand lore is canonized. If the lore is passed down leader to apprentice, then it is word of mouth. If the lore is canonized, booked, 
then someone decided to write it down after trial and error. Then it depends on how it was written down or if errors were just skipped. Also, what about the animals that don't get selected, a.k.a. org nose hairs, troll nose or head hairs, etc.? <laughs> Another thing to consider is when and how do you get the wood for a wand? Meaning, do we make ourselves one with nature or do we cut off limbs to wand trees while they are still living and the sap is in the blood of the tree? Do you wait until nature cuts down the tree like a lightning strike so that you can keep balance with nature? Does it matter when you take the limb from a tree like a sapling or a full-grown tree? Does it affect the temperament of the wand? Personally, I'm not sure if uh, wizards care all that much about the environment, <laughs> or at least they don't seem to care about the environment very much. I, I know. I would agree with that. And wow, like... Bill, you have gone into things with wands that I had never thought about, ever, (laughs) (laughs) in all my years as a Harry Potter fan. Um, Like, when they cut the tree, if it was, you know, struck in by lightning, uh, that's just, what? Props. Claps to you. So, when they cut the tree would go and fit with um, kind of medieval herbology and all of that kind of lore that kind of exists within... um, more traditional kind of natural arts. Um, Educate us, Rosie. <laughs> so just thinking back to um, Anglo-Saxon medical charms that I was looking into a while back, um, <laughs> things like, you know, mandrakes do exist and they were always picked in the morning because they were considered to be sleeping. So it was the safe time to go and get them. Um, there are, um, I think, some varieties of berry that you could, that are only safe to eat in the morning. Um, because the kind of poisons in them are activated by chemical reactions with like sunlight. Um, so there is, there is kind of time of day things that could come into wand law um, that would be quite interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember what Joe wrote on Pottermore about wandwoods um, and whether there was anything specific about when trees were harvested and all that kind of thing. Um, Not that I recall, because this all seemed like very foreign concept to me, something I never thought about. But yeah, the kind of the language of trees would be an interesting thing to look at. Did anyone see the Pottermore article this week about, I mean, there was this whole infographic about wands, I think. Well, not about wand cores in particular, but uh, there was a lot of stuff about wands, which I thought was really cool about who uses the different types of wands and what they use it for and how successful the spells were and things like that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I uh I I like this idea that that Bill talked about with like the ogre nose hairs and the troll or I mean, that's kind of gross. Um I'm I I wonder what kind of magical properties an ogre nose hair would bring <laughs> to your wand. Although it'd probably be great for Ginny and her bat bogey hacks, right? <laughs> oh yeah, there you yeah. go. Bum. <laughs> I guess that all depends on what consists or what creates a magical creature as well. Like unicorn and dragon are fairly, you know, you can imagine that their whole body is magical. Whereas ogres mm-hmm. and things that are a bit more kind of humanoid in form, mm. would they count as much as a magical creature? Would their hair actually be worth anything? It's interesting to think about. I would imagine not. I don't think. Who'd want to carry around an ogre nose head all the time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I suppose if they can breed with humans, like Hagrid's mother and father, mm. um, they probably 
you're right, aren't magical enough, quote, magical enough. If anyone was going to try, it would be Hagrid. He would harvest these things and he would go to a wand maker and see if it could make a new one for him. Don't put any ideas into it. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> you don't think they could make wands out of, like, human hair or... Out of wizard's hair? Do you think that's... Could you have a wand which has a core of, like, Dumbledore's beard hair? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Flora has... They do make wands out of, yeah, Vila hair. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. That's true. Yeah. Interesting thought. Yeah. I don't know. Good, good, good comment, Bill White. All right. That was an awesome comment by Bill White. Um, the next comment comes from Hufflepuffskin. Hufflepuffkin says, in my profession, I'm also very interested in Mesoamerican cultures in tropical regions, particularly the Maya. And I got to thinking about what Maya wizards could have used for wand wood. There is a wood called Chichem, is that how I think you say it, in modern parlance that is poisonous, literally the poison wood tree. Perhaps such woods would have been avoided or along the lines of possibly dangerous slash volatile materials. Perhaps it could have been used to make wands that would be suitable for those of great skill or resilience to be able to overcome the effects of poisons encountered throughout life. Certainly would have helped Ron in uh, <laughs> Half-Blood Prince. Definitely. <laughs> yes, it would have. At that point. I love the idea of ancient Mayan wizards and Incan wizards and all of those kind of people. That would be really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just even, I'm even, I'm really excited for just the, the, um, I think Joe called them Native Americans in uh, Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. And I'm super excited about that. So, yeah, to expand it back to, like you said, the Mayans. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so maybe Fantastic Beasts will give us a whole new plethora of information on wand cores cool. and woods and such. That would be awesome. I think, was it the elm tree that, um, is is it Voldemort's one that's elm? No, his is um, you. Uh, you. Yeah, you. So you, one of these, I think it's you. It's either you or elm. One of them um, grows in um, graveyards in particular, um, and that's why yeah, yeah, you. And that's it's why it's you. given kind of these um, negative and kind of death story ones. Um, they're all very kind of they're meant to be kind of powerful and death omen ones. Um, so it's interesting that. You know, if there are poison wood trees that are avoided, why then with the the yew tree still being being used? It must be considered powerful, even if it's got some detrimental qualities. Um, so it'd be interesting to know whether these other things were. But yew isn't. But is yew poison? Yew isn't poisonous. Is I don't it? think it's poisonous. I think it I just think it so. grows quite commonly in graveyards. I don't know why. <laughs> so it's just the omen, right? That's like different than. Yeah. That's actually poisonous, yeah. <laughs> I always had this little kind of personal headcanon where, because there's a yew tree growing in Little Hangleton mm-hmm. when Voldemort goes there. Um, well, and also even before that, I guess when his father, Tom Riddle Sr., is there, they mention a yew tree. So I was just, I mean, this is my own little headcanon. Obviously, it didn't happen this way, but I always just had a little. I don't know, probably not a daydream nightmare about Voldemort going and taking a branch and being like, Ollivander, make me a wand from this. That's creepy. You know, it's my own little headcanon. I mean, it's very not legit, but I it's imagine that It's a good omen, though, foreshadowing from Joe. This character will die. There's a yew tree here. <laughs> exactly. Okay, our next 
comment comes from Griff. Griff says, I wonder if there are vegan wand options. All cores we have heard of come from magical creatures. And knowing how offended a censure would have been to have his hair used as a wand makes me wonder. So I'm assuming by vegan like options. Yeah, this is kind of cool. I'm assuming by vegan options, I just mean non-living being products. Living. Yeah, because it's not yeah. like you're going to kill a censure to get its hair or kill, I don't know, a phoenix just to get a feather from it. You're going to have an arrow in your heart before you get a scent out here for a wand. Mm -hmm. See, but the thing, so the thing with, with vegan is that you don't use anything produced by an animal, whether they're killed for it or not. So um, even vegans don't even eat honey, even though, you know, bees use it or they don't wear silk because it's made by silkworms. So I thought this was really intriguing and I, I can't think of anything um, that we've heard of that would be a vegan option because, I mean, dragon heartstring, definitely not vegan. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was trying to think of any magical plants that would be able to kind of substitute, but then where do you draw the line with, is it alive with magical plants? It's been a while since I said that one. <laughs> Welcome back, is it alive? Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> so things like, um, you know, Devil's Snare, it it technically moves towards you and moves towards light and and grabs you and grasps you and strangles you to death. Is that technically alive? Would that would a, a tendril of devil's snare count as a creature at all? Or mandrakes? Yeah. Or mandrakes? Yeah. Mandrakes? Yeah. They they scream. They have personalities. They have faces. Is that a plant or is it alive? It's really hard to work out with magical herbology, plant life, all of that kind of thing. Whether it counts as you know, alive as we would think of as animals, or is it just right. sentient as a as a plant? Weird. <laughs> I feel like we need to tweet this yes. at Ivana Lynch and see what, see what she thinks, <laughs> because well, she's a vegan first off, and also I think that this is a very mm -hmm. Luna concept, and I feel like she'll have a really great answer. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that when the episode ends. Because I'm I I have no idea. I have no idea. So listeners, bombard... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's all the comments for the podcast question of the week. If you would like to continue discussion, please go over to alohomora.mugglenet.com. But now it's time for our chapter discussion. Chapter 9. A place to hide. Okay, guys, so unfortunately, the fun has got to stop here. It is time for the action to start as our heroes scramble to escape the attack on the wedding. And they find themselves in the heart of Muggle London, attempting to blend in um, and, and not doing it very well. They're still in their <laughs> wizarding um, robes, unfortunately, and Ron gets a few giggles, as he always does. Hermione has proven that you don't actually need to be a Girl Scout to be prepared, and she has got a bag full of magical goods which also makes us wonder if Mary Poppins went to Hogwarts at all. <laughs> the trio encounter some unexpected enemies before deciding finally to go to Grimmauld Place, where it actually might be the safest place to hide after all. So the best place to start off is right in the heart of the chaos. Um, and the, the wedding has been halted. This Patronus has come and told them exactly what's going on. Um, and the, the kind of scene just erupts into noise and people running around and screaming. Um, Hermione manages to grab hold of Harry and they are both searched for Ron before they apparate out as soon as possible. And Hermione takes them to Tottenham Court Road. 
And none of them really know why. Why do we think she took them to Totten Court Road of all places? Any ideas? Well, I feel like this is where <clears throat> the movie canon, which I hate comparing the two, where this informs the book. And because it's kind of unspoken, I think she says it later on, but I think it's just because she's been there with her parents. Yeah, I don't think there's any particular reason. I mean, it's just the first thing that pops into your head. And it's busy, as she says. I wonder if she even thought that far, like... Yeah, she might not have. It was probably just instinctual. She... Clearly, her parents are on her mind. You know, she's wondering if she'll ever see them again, if they'll have a happy life. And, you know, that's what I think. That's so sad. (laughs) Okay. It is sad. It's incredibly sad. (laughs) Unfortunately for Hermione, the, you know, the the sadness doesn't stop there. And I found it really interesting on rereading this that um, I really picked up on the hecklers that um, kind of jeer after her um, as she and Ron are walking down the street. Harry's hidden under his invisibility cloak. Um, and, and Joe actually kind of writes that Hermione is heckled by people and they say, you know, leave the ginger person alone, come and see us. And it just really struck me that even in Harry Potter, even in you know, these essentially children's teams books, this is being picked up on, the fact that this happens to girls all around the world. Um, and Oh, but she's walking down the street and wearing a dress, Rosie. Yeah, so true. Definitely <laughs> asking, asking for, for it. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just, you know, it made me really want to mention um, Emma's He For She campaign um, and all of that kind of thing. Um, because, you know, this kind of thing shouldn't happen to girls. And for it to happen to Hermione Granger of all people in this book, come on, world, sort it out. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think that, oh, unfortunately, I well, I think it's really cute that Ron was about to defend her because that's adorable. Yes. Um, yeah, but I also that's like that she genuine just, Ron. <laughs> yes, I also like that she just kind of doesn't acknowledge it, and because mm-hmm. we have all dealt with that situation. Yep. Um, and it's just it's frustrating and, and kudos to joe for including that in there even just the small yeah. little bit both genders read this book it's one of those ones that um te- teaches lessons to everyone growing up and if this is just a small lesson that you should learn learn it that's not how you treat people whoever they are i think i i was thinking about this today um if they weren't in this moment panicked i wonder what yeah. hermione would have done to them if she would have yelled at them or let Ron yell at them. (laughs) What would Ginny have done? (laughs) Bad bogey hexagram. I think Hermione would have said, Hermione would have said that they're not worth it, but Ginny would have turned around and and given them what for. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. That's probably an appropriate reaction from Hermione. That's true. Never one to cause trouble. Exactly. But not not wanting to cause trouble, they decide to kind of take a moment see where they are, see what they can be doing. And they stop in a small cafe for coffee. Um, They walk in and they have this discussion. And unfortunately, one of them, I think it might even be Hermione, not even Harry at this moment. Hermione's name. Voldemort, yeah. It's all Hermione's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this is the first clue that we've got that um, the the taboo has been set up. Obviously, we'll talk about this a lot more in later chapters when we actually get it explained by Ron. Um, but it's pretty instantaneous. Hermione says the name. She, I think she finishes her speech. There's possibly one other little bit. And then the two burly workmen walk in the door um, and sit down. 
they don't order coffee, um, but they are sat there waiting. Yeah, it's barely two sentences later that they show up. Yeah, it's so soon, um, which proves that, you know, if this taboo is some way similar to the trace, um, it really must be kind of like geolocating. You know exactly where this person is and you know exactly what they've done. Um, I've I've always kind of pictured the taboo to be quite similar to the trace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that with the trace, all magic is taboo. Here, it's just this particular name. Um, and it's the only way that they would be able to find out exactly where these people were. Now, do you think that this the, the taboo was something that could only have been achieved once the ministry was taken over? Yes. Yeah, yeah the ministry probably had too. something, you know, the, you know, the overarching, uh, what do you call it, monitoring of all man- magic mm-hmm. yeah. in the UK. So probably been easier to use the same thing, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It was probably the first executive order. <laughs> Put a taboo on the name. Do you think the previous ministries had taboos on people who were against fudge or scrimmager? Oh. I'm not sure. I don't think fudge would have been Fuzz that enough. kind of, yeah. People talk about him all the time. It wouldn't, like, the reason why it works for Voldemort is because of the fear of the name aspect. Um, for everyone else, you'd just be constantly getting pings with people <laughs> saying, oh, he's been really annoying. <laughs> That's just... Oh, Fudge is on the Wizarding Wireless Network tonight. Yeah, Yeah. that's Um, true. But with the idea of um, he who must not be named um, and that whole concept of, you know, the Dark Lord, no one ever using his name, even in the first war. Do we think that there was a taboo previously for that first war and that's why he he who must not be named because of this kind of fear of um, this taboo? That's a good thought, but I I feel like we would have heard about that. Or they wouldn't have been so shocked maybe. about it, maybe. Maybe it's just never explicitly yeah. mentioned. But again, these are kids. They they weren't. They didn't experience the first time. Well, the first time he didn't control the government, did he? Not that we know of. Yeah. Right. But it was pretty bad. Yeah. Hard to say. I don't think I'd put it past him, but I'm not sure that he actually ever achieved it. <laughs> it was probably on his wish list, and it was yeah. just the next thing down, like number seven <laughs> on the to do list. And he just he was he was vanished at number six. So no, but that would that would Bummer. totally explain uh, how the he who must not be named concept itself came into existence. Because otherwise, I mean, I think everyone said. I mean, no matter how afraid you are of someone, there must have been like some consequence of saying his name for people to be afraid of it so much. Yeah, but, but couldn't they set up like? What I was thinking when I think about the taboo, I was thinking about how even in our quote-unquote muggle world, the internet is set up in our countries with taboos, especially in certain countries that have more restrictions, where if you type in a certain word, it goes to a system, and they're, like, if you're researching bombs, they're going to know about it. I've had so many conversations with authors who are like, if the government (laughs) is watching my search history, they're going to think I'm into some really weird things. (laughs) It's a real problem for authors who are trying to do research. Yes. Yeah, I guess that would be part of it. So, like, Fudge or Scrimmager was tabooing, like, not maybe their name, but words associated with the dark arts to kind of, like, track those people Uh, down. Words that only Death Eaters would use and such. I don't think Fudge (laughs) was that clever. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. And I guess if... Voldemort had had a taboo the first time, Dumbledore wouldn't be encouraging his followers to use the name again. Like, fear of the name only increases fear of the name itself would not be something you would say if you knew that there was an actual reason to be afraid of the name. 
Okay, point. That's true. Well, if enough people said the name, would there even would a taboo even have worked? Like you said earlier, if everybody's saying fudge, a taboo's not going to work. If people weren't afraid of Voldemort's name, then the taboo wouldn't work in the first place because everybody would be saying it. There you go, Order of the Phoenix. That's what you should have told people to do. <laughs> Printed in the, the quibbler. Everyone just say Voldemort as many times as possible. <laughs> right, exactly. Desensitize yourself to exactly. it. Right. Exactly. But still, we've got the invisibility cloak saving the day as it has so many times before. Um, Harry, not being visible to the outside world, manages to observe what's going on around him and notices as the blonde Death Eater of Roll man- uh, reaches for his wand. Um, he manages to get the first curse in and ultimately that is what knocks out one of their opposition um, and manages to get the three of them out safely. It also gets the waitress. Unfortunately. <laughs> Conveniently. Yes, it does also get the waitress. Um, muggle casualties not seem to be very high on um, the trio's priorities at this moment. Well, um, at least it was only stupefy and yeah. not into something oh, yeah, worse. Course. Yeah, she's not dead, luckily. <laughs> No, she'll probably just wake up feeling like she had a lot to drink. <laughs> yeah, or um, she might assume that, you know, they'd been robbed as the cafe or something. Right, exactly. Is she the only um, person in this cafe? Yeah, where's Amity? That happens more often than you think. Really? <laughs> I was, I think, I picture of like a place that serves sandwiches and stuff too. You can consider the time too. Yeah, it's meant to be very late at night. Mm-hmm. Heck, there have been times, my mother worked at a bank years and years and years ago, there were times when she was there by herself. Like, you know how scary that is to be at a bank by yourself? Wow. No, thank you. Yeah. So. Nope. I do like, though, that it says that Harry mirrored them without conscious thought. That magic is finally so ingrained in him, kind of. For the first time, he goes for magic first. It's really good. (laughs) Also, Ron's the one who saves Hermione. So much of Ron saving Hermione through this book. Yes, yes, yes. That's like the one thing that makes my day. And I think it really proves that, you know, he read that book. He actually cares. He's thinking about how he should be protecting her. It just proves that he's in love with her by now. It's really nice. Yeah, this is way beyond what could be in the book. Like, this is wrong. This is true, genuine wrong. Yeah. His first instinct is, is instinct is to protect his family. And now Hermione is included in that. Yay. Anyway, um, <laughs> the problems happen at the end of this scene. Um, where Hermione says that she hasn't ever performed a memory charm before, so she's not sure if it will work. But unfortunately, Joe, you've told us that she already has. Um, she performed a memory charm on her parents. We know that she modified their memories and convinced them to go off to Australia and protect themselves. Um, so it depends, I guess, if she's now saying that she's trying to blank these people's memories rather than modify them. There may be some kind of leeway there. Um, but I think this is a bit of a plot hole um, and a little bit of a mistake. Mm-hmm. Oops. Unless Hermione just doesn't want the others to know. Them. Well, no, because she already told She's them. She's already told them. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Never mind. that, yeah. what if that one failed, just like this one did? Well, well, first, I don't think it failed. I think Voldemort got it out of them because Hermione is, you know, comparing her and Voldemort, mm. magic skill level. Mm-hmm. But so this one is, um, she says, um, Obliviate. Right? Yes. Okay, so I feel like wiping memory is different than modifying. And that's kind of the caveat that I've always thought as far as the memory charms go. Because she modified her parents' memory and here she's erasing it. So we may, you know, we'll give Joe the benefit of the doubt here. (laughs) 
Hmm. Well, I feel like they're two separate. You know, they're probably two very different things. Yeah. Because when you modify the memory, you have to put the story in there. As opposed to Obliviate is just yeah, okay. wiping it clean. Like Lockhart was really great at Obliviating. That, you know. Yeah. Um, but then he also had to put... Didn't he say that he would Obliviate and then put the new story in? I forget exactly what it was with Lockhart, but I feel like they're two very completely different things. Kind of like Inception. and It's a lot harder. In a way. Planting a new idea. Mm -hmm. I guess the only time we ever really see a modified memory is Slughorn's, and he obviously hasn't done it very well. Um, But for him to attempt it, I guess it's quite a different way than Lockhart's, like you were saying. So, yeah, they must be two different skills. Fair enough. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, that's what I've always thought anyway. So so once these Death Eaters are incapacitated um, and they decide that even Muggle London isn't very safe, they kind of try and list all of the places they could go. Um, and ultimately, the only place that seems safe enough is Grimmauld Place, despite the fact that Snape um, is able to go there now, um, since Dumbledore's death has kind of made everyone who knew of the, the, um, the Order's headquarters um a secret keeper on arrival there they come across some very creepy protective charms um so they've got um the the voice saying severus snape um and um the the tongue tying charm where they literally can't move their tongues they it feels like they're choking on them almost um and then finally we've got this um creepy body of dumbledore rising from the ground um and sort of rushing towards them um, until someone screams and says, it wasn't me that killed you. Um, what do we think of these protective charms? They they seem very creepy and they seem very kind of haunted house-esque, but would they actually repel anyone? Would they make anyone turn around and leave? Everyone knows that Dumbledore's dead, so... I don't think they would have repelled Snape, who's, who was the one they were yeah. trying to get keep out, but they might have repelled somebody else because Snape knew that he didn't, quote-unquote murder Dumbledore Dumbledore kind of like asked him to do what he did and obviously it didn't stop Snape because he did go in there and rifle around Sirius's bedroom and mm-hmm. extract that picture and rip it so it didn't actually do what it was supposed to do yeah but do we know what like, that uh you know the Dumbledore dusty Dumbledore is supposed to do like because uh they say that word kill and it sort of explodes and disappears right but what if it was supposed to do something else in case somebody didn't say that particular word? So what would happen if it reached you? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think it has any kind of corporeal form. Like, you're, you're not actually summoning Dumbledore. It's not some kind of Yeah, creature. it's definitely it's not, not Dumbledore, but it could be something more <laughs> ominous. Or it could be capable of something yeah. a little more than just trying to scare whoever it is that's trying to get in. Because otherwise it seems a little less for the order. They struck me as just a little odd. Like, if you're trying to create some kind of effect because of someone who is a murderer, like, if they've killed the guy, they're not going to be afraid or they're not going to be repelled by that guy's dead body. They created that dead body. Well, wait. Technically, shouldn't this magic not be anymore since Mad-Eye's dead? That's true as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awkward. (laughs) 
I guess it's just something that lingers after his death. So what if this is just a um, a fading spell? Yeah, it's like... And it used to be something much more. But because oh, Mad-Eye is dead, it is slowly disappearing. Because he hasn't been dead that long, only a couple days at this yeah, point. Yeah, I like this, I, I like this idea. Otherwise, it just seems like not much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, uh, like, I know Hermione's terrified of it, but it's just, a, like you said, it's just a dusty Dumbledore. <laughs> like, it, it, t- it, t- it ties your tongue and that's it. It ties it and then it unties it rather quickly, too. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all able to speak. Yeah. I think the point of it is they're not able to, to say the words Grimmauld Place to people. It's like the secret keeping thing again. It's, it's re, retying mm. that aspect of the spell. Um Right. The only problem with it being a fading spell um, is that when Lupin turns up, which is a couple of weeks or even months down the line, it still exists and it's still the same. Um, so if it were right. going, kind of deteriorating, it should be. Oh no! I think that I think Lupin comes only a couple of days after. Lupin's not too far off. I guess I'm it is a more of like one week, but. Also, when when creature manages to track down Mundungus, there's no spell. Then you have to come through the front door. Oh no, creature elf magic! Yeah, the bribe the bribe's only two chapters from now. Okay, not too far then. So and Mundungus can come in because you know it's creature elf magic. I guess the order is uh, underestimating yeah. other types of magical creatures. It's always underestimating those house elves. Yeah. So along with these kind of painful reminders of of those that we've lost, both Mad-Eye and Dumbledore, um, Ron is currently worried about those that he might have lost and not known about. Um, with the wedding so fresh in their mind and, and, you know, the battle probably still going on as they speak, Ron is just constantly worried about what is going on back home. And Harry's scar has start to, started to hurt, um, and the others are clearly aware of what's going on. Harry is flinching. He's unable to kind of hide the pain anymore. Um, and the first thing Ron does is ask about his family, ask what Harry has seen um, and whether he's seen anything um, in particular to do with his family, um, which leads us to think that, you know, the trio are convinced that Voldemort turned up at this wedding. It's not just the... Um, not just the the Death Eaters, that Voldemort was there and Harry will be able to see some kind of news because of Voldemort being there. Um, What do we think of Ron's insistence on finding out family information so soon after it happened? Well, I don't think that it's an illogical thought to think that Voldemort would show up there knowing that, well, they don't know that he doesn't know Harry was there. Um, And I think the only thing that really bothers me about this is that Ron doesn't think about the fact that his family is basically Harry's mm-hmm. family. Um, and, you know, he says it later. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And Harry's like, it's fine. Um, but probably in that moment of stress, Ron wasn't thinking about the fact that Harry is also concerned about them. He's, in, you know, basically in love with his sister. So um, I think it's a logical, logical reaction on Ron's part. I think that partly shows that Ron hasn't quite accepted Harry and Ginny together yet as well. Um, you know, he's he's tried to get between them during the week that they were together at the borough. Um, he's still not entirely happy about what happened last year. Um, so he doesn't consider Harry to be anything more than just, you know, his friend. He's, he's definitely no brother-in-law yet. 
Yeah, he's being the protective yeah. big brother. It's like, yeah. you mess with her again, and I'm going to kick yeah. your butt. So he yeah. just, yeah, he doesn't think of that as Harry's family at all yet. You'd think he'd be a little bit more understanding about not, you know, Harry's doing it to protect her, not because he doesn't like her yeah. anymore. It's not like he just didn't return her, well, her owls. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say phone calls, but they were phones. Um. But Ron's just not very wise about the emotional range of the teaspoon thing yet. He's He's got, he's got to a dessert spoon stage, but he's not quite a full label. <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, he had to get a book to figure out how to talk to witches. (laughs) That's true. And then those cheesy lines, which are so funny. No, not 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 how to talk to witches. Just just a little confidence boost. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Hermione, um, her occlumency um, obsession is resurfacing Um, with Harry's painful scar. She is showing. You know, the intellectual level is, is still kicking in. She's still worried about what Voldemort will be able to see. Um, and she's still worried about what Voldemort will be able to do um, if he were able to kind of convince Harry um, to go back and save the day again. I mean, it worked for Sirius. If Voldemort showed an image of Harry torturing Ginny, would Harry go back to the burrow? Oh, God, yeah. You know, yeah. I think, yep. you know, we... we... We keep discussing well, every other chapter about whether Harry's hero complex has left or, you know, has he grown from it, but I, he just hasn't because I think, I mean, I don't know, I think I forgot to mention it. I had this in mind, but, you know, even in the coffee shop after when, when they're talking like, oh, I think I might have the trace on me and Harry's like, okay, you guys should, you know, go ahead or, or leave and I'll go on my own. And, you know, it's just the whole thing all over from the beginning. You know, just thinking about it more. If Voldemort showed Harry an image of him hurting Ginny, I feel like Ginny is probably the one person that, well, not the one person, but somebody that he doesn't have to worry about her taking care of herself. Mm. And I think that after Sirius, he probably would have learned something. Yeah. And I would hope that he wouldn't go. He'd probably make more of an effort with the double checking part of it, but... I think he'd still yeah, want to make... I mean, he wouldn't do anything else until he knew that she was perfectly safe, so... Yes, he would definitely investigate it, but I'm not sure he would rush off to her rescue the same as he did before. And I think if he did go, he would do it in disguise. He would do it in a, a more thought-through way. He would have definitely learned from his earlier so. experience. I hope so, yeah. I still have my doubts, but yeah. 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 yeah, I don't know. Of course. I think if he knew for a fact that she was being tortured, that he would go. I don't think there was anything that would, at this point, because he hasn't learned, like he learns at the end of the books, he does, hasn't learned that waiting and not acting thing. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I just, I just, I just, I just don't think he's gotten rid of the hero complex yet, so. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, have I guess having confirmation of torture is different than a false trail. Yeah. So, yeah, I think just getting back to this this moment where they're talking about, um, you know, when Harry's scar is burning, you notice that Hermione says Voldemort again, yeah. and I looked and I looked and I looked, and Death Eaters do not show up until much later in the. Um, when Lupin shows up, because they're talking about how Creature has been gone, and then they say two Death Eaters showed up in the square. So something is protecting this. Is that the Fidelius charm? I think the two Death Eaters showing up in the square is because of this. Um, But it's so much later. It's days later. 
they they mention that they've been there they mention that they've noticed them so they don't notice them straight away um and it's um they they are already there before lupin arrives so they they must know something like they've got some kind of suspicion that there are people there they're not entirely sure where this house is and they're not entirely sure where this location is um but they know that someone has said Voldemort within that vicinity at some point within the last few days also you know we'll talk about it in a moment but we know that Voldemort um is upset about what happened because of the taboo on this particular day so maybe they're a bit hesitant to go and trace it for a couple of days just in case the same thing happens but we'll get there in a second. Can they just be standing outside of there because they're now in charge of the government and they'll have the wills and they kind of know the approximate location of the property they that, that Harry inherited? Possibly. Probably. But I guess, again, that work that um, depends on how Fidelius charms work. Like, could you actually put the name of a place down in a will if that place were hidden with a Fidelius charm? Or would you need to just say, I leave to Harry my the house of my ancestors and not kind of give it its specific location just give it like a roundabout yeah. location like in yeah. this this district. particular <laughs> place yeah. that he knows about and i know about <laughs> you guys can't know but he knows that this is his now <laughs> that kind of thing yeah mm-hmm. at this moment though um harry is just completely done with all of the worries he's just got a headache and would just like to to know that it's all over now um Luckily, the Patronus of Arthur Weasley turns up um, and says that his family is safe, um, but it is not safe for the trio to return, um, that the the burrow is being watched um, and that they will have to just go on their own from now on. Well, they feel like they can't get back in touch, but my whole, I was, I'm reading Chamber of Secrets right now also, and Fred and George know how to pick a lock. How can these people know how to pick a lock? But especially Hermione, who lives in the muggle world in the summer, not have a cell phone. <laughs> because Voldemort clearly is not going to be tracing them, I, I don't think, on a cell phone. They can talk back and forth easily because most, especially Death Eaters, are not going to think about using muggle technology to interact with each other. They weren't as common back then. Um, I got my first mobile well, cell phone um, when... I was, I guess I was 13, so... I got mine when I graduated college in 2003. So, I mean, at this point, thinking canonically, you know, they didn't exist for these teenagers. So it's, yeah. Really? I mean, isn't, what year is this then? Because I know I got mine in, like, 10th grade, and that was, like, 2000. Well... <clears throat> Voldemort is killed May 2nd, 1998. This is 97, right? Oh. This is 97. So this Six is about, or, yeah. yeah. Well, they had pagers. <laughs> they could beep each other and do the text codes. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Hermione say in Goblet of Fire that magic messes with electronics? Yeah, that too. So, so um, yeah. Oh, I thought that was just at Hogwarts. Mainly at Hogwarts, but I'm guessing yeah, places like Godric's Hollow would be problematic as well. Um, but yeah, this is 1997. They definitely wouldn't have been able to afford cell phones um, and there wouldn't have been much coverage in the country if they did have them. So, because there's not much coverage in the yeah, country it's now. Still a problem. 2015. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just picturing Arthur Weasley with a beeper now that you mentioned oh, the beeper. Yeah. With the text codes. 143, <laughs> whatever. Just Arthur with a calculator <laughs> is enough. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's so funny. I do, I do, I do really like this moment though, the Patronus moment, yeah. and how 
Ron just kind of collapses mm-hmm. on himself. It's like he, he at least, he, you know, not only is his family safe, but it, that came from his father. And that I feel like in if I were Ron in that moment, that would be the ultimate comfort. Hearing my father's voice, knowing they're alive. Yeah, he wouldn't have cared if it was Kingsley or someone. It had to be from one of his family that would send the message. Because, yes, because if it had come from somebody like Kingsley, and even if he said family safe, that doesn't mean that they aren't injured or Mm -hmm. hurt or incapacitated in some way. At least he knows that Arthur, you know, he would tell them if something else were wrong, I think. So, and speaking of being incapacitated, thank you, Kat, for the brilliant link. Um, mm-hmm. We see Harry really try and escape from the trio at this moment. His head is just doing him in, so he goes to the bathroom to kind of give in to the need to let Voldemort's rage take over. Um, and as soon as he does that, he goes into the moment of seeing Voldemort punishing the Snatchers. These Snatchers have managed to call for Dumbledore, for Dumbledore? No, for Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Um, and ha- they've they've pressed the dark marks if they've got them. I think Roll is actually a Death Eater, so he would have been the one to call. Um, mm-hmm. But Harry is nowhere to be seen. Um, we'll see this a couple of times throughout the book where people try and call for Voldemort to say that they've caught Harry and failed. Um, and Voldemort is not a happy bunny. <laughs> Unfortunately, at this moment, we also see that Draco is being forced to be the torturer. Um, Voldemort is t- being very vindictive and, and um, really saying, you know, we haven't got Harry, but we've got his um, his peer here. So Draco can be the one who is torturer. He is the one who's going to carry out Voldemort's revenge um, on Roll and the other Snatchers. It's pretty terrible. I'm... I'm- I'm just glad that we don't actually see Draco yeah. doing this. Um, Do we think that he actually did? And I think did? that's important. I think that he was forced to, and I think he had to. Um, why else would he help Harry later? Yeah. He really needed to grow to despise Voldemort. Yeah. Um, and I think that all this forced torturing is what's doing it. Um, I don't know. I think it's important for Draco's character in order for him to be redeemed later on. Um, but I'm just very glad that we don't actually see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And this is only, you know, a few weeks after Draco was present when the Muggle Studies teacher was killed in front of his eyes. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's coming to grips with death and torture at a very, very fast pace. Um, and I think he, if he doesn't realise by now, he definitely realises very soon that... This is not all that it was cracked up to be. He no longer has this kind of grand um, idea of being a Death Eater and what it will be. Um, whatever he was trying to achieve last year, which, you know, we, we kind of knew halfway through that he wasn't really into it anymore. By now, he must be regretting it. Um, yeah, I think I think that even before Dumbledore uh, was killed, yeah, definitely. I think that Draco had some major regrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah major regrets yep so and speaking of regrets harry is back in the bathroom he's alone and he's completely sickened by what his old enemy is being forced to do and is this the first time we really ever see him feel any sympathy for draco um even after you know watching the events of the tower and watching and knowing what draco did to to result in the death of dumbledore um he's really feeling bad for for Draco and it just really kind of brings home how bad that situation must be that even Harry 
can find it in his heart to feel feel bad for his greatest enemy um, other than Voldemort himself. Well, doesn't he say at the end of Half-Blood, like, Draco wouldn't have done it? He saw him yeah. drop his wand. Yeah. So, I, so I feel like, yeah, this is probably the first first-hand account that Harry is getting of, you know, seeing what Draco's being put through. But I definitely think he's felt a little sad for Malfoy before now. Mm-hmm. So... So there's a bit of an end of innocence for Malfoy and for Harry as well. Harry's growing up, finally. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> Only took a lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> 59 chapters in. There we go. <laughs> I mean, he's 70. I mean, he's 70. He's 17 yeah. now. So, I mean, you know, he's getting there. Slowly but surely. He's come of age and he is coming of age. Yep, exactly. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> That's it for this chapter then, guys. Um as always if you've got any comments anything that you'd like to add if we've missed anything out in our discussion sorry we try to include as much as possible but obviously there's so much detail in these chapters that some things get left behind so if you've got anything you'd like to discuss please do go to alohomora.mugonet.com and add it into this week's chapter discussion and this was a short one an unusually short one for deathly hallows it was there's i think it's so kind of punchy and so reactive um, that mm-hmm. it it needs to be fast paced and therefore it's quite short. I mean, yeah, this this chapter is reduced to I don't know, I think like four minutes in the movie, right? Pretty much. I mean, maybe five with the whole weird cappuccino scene oh, with the waitress. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a good one. I like this chapter. It sets up a lot for the rest of the yeah. book. Adventure starts here. Yeah, yeah. it does. Their sad, long camping adventure. But yes, it does. <laughs> It is an adventure, I suppose. <laughs> it is. All right. So for this week's podcast question of the week, chapter nine is titled A Place to Hide and the trio opt for 12 Grimmauld Place. What other hiding places might they have chosen that would have possibly better helped them on their quest to destroy horcruxes or at least have been a little more comfortable than a tent? You can go on and respond on alohamora.mugglenet.com. We look forward to hearing your responses. I just like titles with puns. A place to hide, 12 Grimmauld Place. It's just fun. It's cute. Yeah, Joe, <laughs> clever. She's a clever one. So all that remains is for us to thank our wonderful guest, Archana. I hope you've had a good time on the show. I had a lovely time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much. This is this was a lot of fun. I've always wanted to do this forever, so <laughs> good. Well, if any of you listening want to be on the show, just like Arkna, you can head over to the Be on the Show page at alohomora.mugglenet.com. If you have a set of headphones with a microphone built into them, you're all set. No fancy equipment needed. And while you're over there, go ahead and download one of our ringtones of our opening and closing music for free. You can jam out when you're on the tube or on the bus and have people look at you funny. So, it's it's cool. only happened a few times. <laughs> only a few times. We get tweets about it a lot. So, um, so thank you, everybody. And of course, if you want to contact us in any other way, we've got plenty of ways that you can do it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at MN. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash open the Dumbledore. We're on Tumblr, MN Alohomora podcast, Instagram, Alohomora MN. You can Skype us, give us a call at 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. And finally, you can send us an audio boom. Um, You just need to go to alohomora.mugnet.com. There's a little button on the side. It's completely free, but we do ask that you keep it under 60 seconds so that we can use it on the show. 
And don't forget about the Alohomora store. We have lots of really awesome things like shirts and flip-flops for people that aren't um, in northern elevations. <laughs> um, things like Desk Pig, Mandrake Liberation Front, Minerva's My Home Girl, and a lot more. And we do have a new graphic artist on board, so we will have new designs coming out Yay. soon. So let us know what you want to see. If you have any great ideas or inspirations for us, you know, let us know, and they might end up on a shirt. Yay. We also have our smartphone app. It's available all around the world. Um, prices do vary. There are transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host blogs, much, much more. Um, so go and check it out for even more Alohomora. And that's the end of the show. So thank you, guys. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Nicole Rivera. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 159 of Alohomora. Open the dusty Dumbledore. I get the open the Dumbledore. <laughs> Usually it's a different person. Nicole, do you want to do it? Do I just say open the Dumbledore? <laughs> Normally in some kind of fun uh, way. Yeah. If you want to. It's up to you. Yeah. If you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, yeah, could you do it? <laughs> um, yeah, what can I do? Hmm. Open the dusty Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a cute one, actually. That's funny. <clears throat> Um, okay. Open the dusty Dumbledore. That was bad, huh? I should do it again. No, Rosie, you do it, because your accent's better. The dusty? It's not really an accent word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You just sound better doing things in general. Yeah. Okay. Um...